Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha Kota Larson, and in this episode, we're talking about one of the most destructive, dishonest, and downright despicable issues in wildlife trade, China's tiger farms. There is nothing conservation-related about these factory farms. China's commercial breeding of tigers is a nasty scheme to ensure that the demand for tiger parts remains strong. There is even a WikiLeaks cable about one of China's tiger farms. Go ahead, look it up. I can say without hesitation that anyone who believes that China's tiger farms are helping wild tigers in any way simply does not care about protecting wild tigers. Of course, if you've been following the Animiticus blog and listening to the Behind the Schemes podcast, you know that farming endangered species for commercial purposes does not save them. That notion has been totally debunked. But greed and corruption are tough monsters, and so the fight continues. Fortunately, a new weapon in the battle to save wild tigers was unleashed this year. It is a brutally honest book called Blood of the Tiger, a story of conspiracy, greed, and the battle to save a magnificent species. This book was written by international wildlife investigator Judy Mills, who discovered China's tiger farming conspiracy while undercover to expose China's horrific bear bile extraction industry. Judy has spent more than two decades working all over the world in her heroic effort to stop China from pushing wild tigers into oblivion. Why does this issue of China's captive tiger breeding continue to be pushed further and further down the agenda at CITES meetings? Why is there such a reluctance to bring China's tiger farms under the international spotlight? And what is behind this tiger farming conspiracy? Well, today, Behind the Schemes listeners, we are talking with the woman herself, Judy Mills, about China's ongoing scheme to circumvent international law, profit from the commercial breeding of captive tigers, and ultimately push wild tigers into extinction. Most people are unaware of how few tigers are left in the wild. Judy, can you give us some numbers of wild tigers versus captive tigers in China and in the United States? Well, the most recent numbers about wild tigers tell us that there are approximately 3,000 tigers left in the wild, and they're all in Asia. Some people think they're tigers in Africa, but if they are, they're not wild tigers. And with regard to captive tigers, um, when I went to China for the first time in 1991, tiger farming was just getting underway there. In fact, there were just a few tigers in a mink farm up in northeast China that I visited. And I was told that there were less than 100 tigers in captivity on farms in China at that time. There were probably a few in zoos as well. And then two years later in 1993, China banned the trade in both tiger bone and rhino horn. Today, according to the Chinese government, there are between 5,000 and 6,000 tigers on tiger farms, which is nearly twice as many as there are in the wild today. 
Now these farms are a lot like feedlots where tigers are bred for their skins and their bone to be made into products such as tiger skin rugs and tiger bone wine. And this is happening today, even though CITES made a decision in 2007 that tiger farming should stop for the sake of wild tigers. Now, in the U.S., where I live, where you live, there are at least 5,000 tigers in private hands, and a lot of people are surprised by that. There may be many more than those 5,000, there may be thousands more. Some estimates go up to 15,000. Nobody knows, and that's the scary part because there is no government agency that keeps track of these tigers. Nobody knows where they all are, how they live, and more importantly, what happens to them when they die. These tigers are used for commercial cub petting operations. They're held in private zoos. Some people have them as pets. and a lot of people say that, you know, this is apples and oranges, but one of the things I'd like to underscore when we're talking is how China sees the U.S. situation as being not unlike its own. And so when people get outraged about tiger farming, I think it's really important if they're Americans to look in their own backyards too, and to realize that we have a captive tiger problem that may be as big as China's, even though our captive tigers may not be driving the international trade in tiger products that is leading to the poaching of wild tigers. It cannot be denied that the United States has a huge captive tiger problem. It's an international embarrassment, and we do need to find a way to stop tigers and other big cats from ending up in private hands, whether for petting zoos or as household pets. Here, Judy explains which captive tiger issue, the United States or China, poses the biggest threat to wild tigers today. In my opinion, China's tiger farming poses the single greatest threat to the survival of wild tigers. And this is why. <laughs> um, farming tigers in such great numbers stimulates demand for tiger skins and tiger bone wine. And that stimulates the poaching of wild tigers because the bones of wild tigers are considered superior, more prestigious, and exponentially more valuable. When you think of tiger bones from farms, think of cubic zirconia. And when you think of tiger bones from wild tigers, think of flawless diamonds. If wild tigers were in fact pushed to extinction, who benefits? Well, it's a fraternity of criminals who are intentionally stockpiling tiger carcasses, skins, and bones, knowing that once a species is extinct, its trade is no longer covered by CITES. We refer to this evil plot as banking on extinction. The same thing is actually happening uh, with, with uh, tiger bones as is happening with rhino horn and elephant ivory. And that is that some wealthy people, particularly in China, are actually investing in wild tiger products as a new asset class, much as they would invest in, say, rare art. They're basically banking on extinction. They want to own the last of these 
creatures, parts and products, because if they go extinct, they will become priceless. And they would be legal to trade as well, just like mammoth ivory. Yes, at that point, CITES would no longer uh, be in effect because they would be gone and therefore, yeah, it would be free trade. And the other thing that's going on, of course, is that um, these tiger farms are putting a lot of pressure on the Chinese government to lift its 1993 ban. A lot of people don't realize that that 1993 ban is still in place. So it is illegal still to sell tiger bone and rhino horn in China. But there is this sort of confusing message coming from these huge tiger farms and many of them have wineries associated with them where they're making tiger bone wine and presumably it's for a future reopening of trade. So there is a lot of pressure on the Chinese government from these farms to reopen trade and that pressure is being seen at CITES now. You may be wondering why so few NGOs are addressing the number one reason for the demise of wild tigers, or why this dirty business is not making international headlines, especially considering its alleged ties to the Chinese government. I was at a, a, an event not long ago, and I asked someone from the State Department why the State Department wasn't raising the issue of tiger farming. And this person told me that it was because the media was not asking them about tiger farming. Other people have told me that tiger farming isn't an issue because Asian countries aren't making a big deal about it, the way African countries are making loud noises about the current slaughter of their elephants and, and rhinos. I honestly don't know the answer to this question. I have been working for more than 20 years to try to expose this issue of uh, tiger farming and to stop it. And through all of those years, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And that's the main reason why I wrote my book, Blood of the Tiger, as a memoir. I had hoped that by writing it for a general audience that maybe more people would learn about it and take an interest in it. Um, unfortunately, right now, the media and politicians and conservation groups are all focused on African elephants and African rhinos, as they should be. But in my opinion, the mistake is that they are not sort of putting tigers in with elephants and rhinos. Because there, first of all, are many, many fewer tigers than there are elephants and rhinos. We're talking about 3,000 tigers versus at least 400,000 African elephants and at least 20,000 some African rhinos. So the tiger is much closer to extinction. And all of these species are threatened by the same organized criminals and the same consumer demand that is emanating from China and, and driving the slaughter in Africa. So to my way of thinking, they should all be addressed as a whole. And, and including pangolins and a fairly long list of other species that are really threatened with extinction in the wild because of increased demand from China and other parts of Asia. Despite the fact that China's tiger trade conspiracy is undermining global efforts to protect wild tigers, there are still advocates who lobby in favor of these shameful feedlots. Advocates who are affiliated with wildlife conservation NGOs.
I've actually seen these people at CITES meetings pushing their pro-trade agendas and sustainable use nonsense, saying it's okay to breed captive tigers for slaughter. Some people have written papers and whatnot advocating for China's tiger farms, and they say things like, breeding tigers for trade will save the wild population. Can you talk about the flaws in that argument? Firstly, I'd like to say that I know that's a very attractive argument, and a lot of people think it makes intuitive sense. However, <laughs> there are a couple of things that it's important to realize, and one of those things is that this is about wealth, not health. Okay, traditional Chinese medicine no longer uses tiger bone or rhino horn, and Polls in China have repeatedly shown that Chinese people don't want or need these products from these animals. This is about a handful of wealthy investors who have put their money into tiger farms and rhino farms who want to get a lot richer from China allowing legal trade in the products from these farms. So this is about products looking for a market, not a market looking for products. Okay, so the second key point is that flooding the market with farm tiger bone will not cut demand for the bones of wild tigers any more than flooding the market with cubic zirconia would cut the demand for diamonds. All farming tigers does is tell large numbers of consumers that tiger products are worth having and some of those consumers will be wealthy enough and be of the mindset that they want the very best, whether you know it's for prestige or as an investment. And the only place they can get the very best is from wild tigers. These are parallel markets. One does not satisfy the other. One of the critical themes in Judy's book was how important it is to address China's tiger farming disaster at high political levels notably CITES Standing Committee meetings and the triennial CITES Conference of the Parties. Here, Judy shares her concerns regarding the upcoming CITES meetings in 2016 and alerts us to the political forces working to keep the tiger crisis out of the spotlight. I tried to think about this in terms of three key issues. The first is there is a reluctance on the part of NGOs and governments to discuss tiger farms and the legal trade of products from these farms. Uh, I think when one is a CITES geek like myself, the term illegal stands out in so many CITES documents, particularly in those from, from China where everyone is against illegal trade but no one talks about this drive within China for legal trade. It's something that the Chinese government talked about the 2007 CITES Conference of the Parties, but then they stopped talking about it after that. Um, so I think it's really, um, I think this omission of not talking about this underlying drive to legalize trade in captive tiger products is very, very dangerous. And I think that's something that needs to change at all CITES venues, unless everybody just wants to give a green light to the legalization of 
tiger trade within China and other Asian countries, because that's where we're headed. In 2014, at the 65th meeting of the CITES Standing Committee, the Working Group on Asian Big Cats reported that parties are urged to develop and implement regulatory controls for Asian big cat breeding facilities to prevent illegal trade. Note the all-important inclusion of the word illegal. But there's yet another sinister aspect of the CITES Asian Big Cat Working Group. The second issue is that China now chairs the CITES Asian Big Cat Working Group. In my estimation, the fox is in charge of the hen house here, right? And, and this means that tiger farming and the push to legalize trade and products from tiger farms is unlikely to be discussed to the extent that is necessary. So I'm very, very worried about that. And I think it's very important for governments and NGOs and individuals to question why China is in charge of this group when they clearly have a conflict of interest. But China has no intentions of stopping at tigers. Rhinos are in the firing line too, thanks to South Africa. The third issue that I think is really important is that South Africa and China are pushing for so-called limited legal trade in rhino horns. And this is an issue that's going to come up at the next conference of the parties in South Africa. They're going to ask to allow trade in rhino horn from South Africa, probably uh, to China. And if that is granted by the CITES party, if permission is granted, then China will have to lift its 1993 on ban of rhino horn and tiger bone. If that happens, I predict that that is when China will resume legal domestic trade in tiger parts and products. And that, if it happens, would trigger a tsunami of demand for the bones of wild tigers. And that demand could quickly wipe out the last 3,000 wild tigers. I think it would just be a disaster. While China has made attempts to appear concerned about tigers, these PR gestures are meaningless when accompanied by threats to NGOs who push for China to comply with CITES and honor its obligation to phase out tiger farming. Meanwhile, China uses the United States tiger situation to justify its own. One of the big danger signs I've seen is that China has been very threatening to both NGOs and governments who speak out about the push to legalize tiger trade. And in fact, some of the NGOs, and I don't know about countries, but I know some of the NGOs have been threatened with being thrown out of China if they continue to push for the phasing out of tiger farming and uh, if they stand against the push to legalize trade in tiger products within China. So there's been this chilling effect on discussion from these threats that have come from the Chinese government. I think that's a, you know, one very, very dangerous trend that has been unfolding now since 2010. Um, another 
big danger I see relates to the United States and our captive tigers. And, and that is an, an argument that I have heard Chinese officials make and I have heard other officials from other countries take up in greater number as the years have gone by. And that argument is that why should China phase out its tiger farming if the United States is not doing anything to even find out where all of its captive tigers are and what happens to them when they die. And as much as I appreciate some of the many good things the U.S. government does for wildlife, I think this, this particular one is very dangerous and uh, the U.S. government continues to ignore this issue. And I think China rightfully says, hey, you know, you have a problem that's as big or bigger than ours, so why don't you address it? Okay, a lot of people in the U.S. government will tell you, well, our captive tigers don't lead people to poach wild tigers and consume their products. That may be true. We don't know for sure. That may be true. Um, but the point is, China is using this as an excuse not to face, not to obey the CITES decision made in 2007 to phase out tiger farming. Essentially, this problem in the United States is giving China an excuse to go forward with their plans to reopen domestic trade in, in tiger products. And a lot of people don't remember that in 1993, China was threatened with trade sanctions because its trade, its domestic trade in tiger products, tiger bone and rhino horn was leading to the decimation of those two species in the wild. So those, the threats of those trade sanctions led China to ban uh, trade in tiger bone and rhino horn in 1993. I would argue that the situation is even worse today, that the threat is even larger because of how much more wealthy Chinese consumers are and how many more of them are there, how many more of them there are and how many fewer tigers there are in the wild. Do you think it was just a coincidence that at the last COP in Bangkok that uh, there was basically no time given to to tigers, that that got pushed way down the agenda, and then it was just really glossed over? I don't want to sound paranoid, uh, but I will say that it seems to me that there is a reluctance on the part of CITES officials to talk about tiger issues in the same way there is a reluctance on the part of major NGOs and some countries to talk about tiger issues. Now, I've been told by people in the United States government that China simply won't talk about tigers. I've been told by major NGOs that China won't talk to us if we talk about tigers. So maybe CITES officials have had the same experience. I don't know. Um, but it certainly seems to me that there is a significant and unusual lack of interest in tigers now at CITES, whereas in years past, tigers have always been one of the main issues of concern. I I'm just saying that it seems rather suspicious to me. I thought it was suspicious. Yeah, that's why I was asking. I thought it was uh, was very suspicious. And it was also, I believe, wasn't it the same year, a somewhat, um, a very in-depth report about uh, China's tiger trade uh, came out as well. 
Yeah, that was the fascinating thing to me. The Environmental Investigation Agency uh, went in with hidden cameras and, and they found um, some very disturbing uh, information about China allowing some legal trade in tiger skins and also allowing the massive production of tiger bone wine. It seemed to me that it was a groundbreaking and shocking report, and yet no one talked about it. It was as if it didn't happen. When I went to that CITES meeting, which opened, what, a week after that report was released, I expected it to be game change. And it was, there was utter silence. One of the ethically questionable tactics used by China to keep the truth about its tiger farms from getting out is to simply steal the evidence. Here's what happened at a CITES standing committee meeting. It was years ago at a CITES standing committee when, um, again, the Environmental Investigation Agency came back with this amazing report about the open sale of tiger skins on the Tibetan Plateau. And they had the most amazing video footage of, you know, scores of Tibetans in robes covered in leopard and tiger skin. And um, yeah, that was during a standing committee meeting. And during one of the breaks, um, while they thought no one was looking, someone from the Chinese delegation came out and picked up every single one of those reports, walked right out of the UN building and went to the nearest dumpster and dumped those reports trying to get rid of them. And, and you know, and I think that sort of censorship uh, pervades CITES still today. And, and, and as China has, you know, gained in economic strength and influence, uh, it is a superpower now, um, certainly. I think that Certain people in the Chinese government have used that in the CITES context to silence discussion of tiger trade because some people within the government, I believe, have a vested interest in seeing tiger trade reopen. The seemingly endless slaughter of African rhinos and elephants for Chinese markets are finally dominating headlines and news feeds, and rightly so. But China's conspiracy to reopen tiger trade and continue breeding tigers like livestock deserves at least equal attention. Yeah, I would like to see this issue get the same treatment of, as some of these other issues. For example, the, the slaughter of elephants and, and rhinos in Africa, um, you know, certain human rights issues. Uh, let's see, what are some of the other issues that are constantly in the media? I, I, I would like to see there be some sort of movement. And again, I wrote my book because I was hoping that the public, if they knew what was going on, they might rise up and say, this has got to stop or contact their governments and say, this has got to stop. And I, I suppose if the book were a bestseller, maybe that would happen or if Hollywood makes it into a movie, but that isn't happening right now. Um, I would like to see NGOs and governments and individuals find the courage to speak up about this issue now before it's too late. I know that the president of the Society for Environmental Journalists uh, has just written a column asking his fellow journalists, you know, how will they feel if some of these species like tigers go extinct in the wild?
what will we say about the part we played and tried to stop that? And I think right now the world has dropped the ball on tigers. So I would like to see the world find its voice, speak up. I don't think that there is going to be, I don't think there will be any repercussions that people can't live with. And one of the suggestions I have made that I think would be a good solution would be for the United States and China to have a bilateral agreement on addressing tiger trade in the same way they have a bilateral agreement on addressing climate change. I think that that's a way to say we both have an issue and we're both going to address our separate issues and we're going to be world leaders on this together. That's my dream. I think that is the ultimate solution to this problem. Um, and in fact, I help, helped a group of NGOs write a letter to President Obama in advance of President Xi Jinping's visit to the United States to ask him if he would raise this issue with President Xi. Because I think you know the world has now seen how, how China has really taken up the call to address climate change in a way that has established it as a world leader. And I think we have seen also with ivory, for example, when the United States burned its ivory stockpiles, China did the same. And I think it's that acknowledgement that China isn't alone in having a problem uh, that really works. And, and this whole idea of empowering China to be a world leader in finding a solution so that we don't lose wild tigers is probably going to be the key to this. Judy, thanks so much for talking with me today. I really uh, appreciate your insight and expertise on this uh, very unpleasant topic, which I hope begins making headlines. Risha, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for all that you do. I am just such a fan of yours. Thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to the Behind the Schemes podcast, episode 39, with international wildlife investigator Judy Mills, author of Blood of the Tiger, a story of conspiracy, greed, and the battle to save a magnificent species. We've been talking about China's tiger farming conspiracy, an extremely disturbing scheme to profit from the commercial slaughter of tigers and ultimately the extinction of wild tigers. If you are concerned about wild tigers, and you should be, since only about 3,000 of them are still surviving, then you must read Judy's book, Blood of the Tiger, a story of conspiracy, greed, and the battle to save a magnificent species. There is a link conveniently located on our website so that you can purchase Judy's book. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you learn new things on our podcast and will join us in our battle to stop the economic exploitation of endangered species. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes. Thank you.